Yeah, thank you, Simon, uh, joining us today and be our speaker. Uh, yeah, Simon uh, currently um, working as professor in um, University of Texas. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, so he will introduce and uh, he will share with us a lot of cool production um, kind of experience teaching in um, related to teaching. Yeah, so yeah, that's welcome, Simon. And I will pass the baton to Simon. Yeah. Thank you, Dominic. Thank you for inviting me. Um, so I'm going to start really quick. Well, well, let me share my screen first and start a presentation. Um, and then really quick, I'm going to just introduce myself and kind of um, talk about like what I was trying to do with this presentation uh, and all that. So my name is Simon, Simon Kiros. Uh, I, um, I, I, I've been teaching at the University of Texas uh, for quite a while now, pretty much since I was a grad student. Um, I was also part of the uh, of the UT3 program that started around 2013, 2014. The idea with that UT3 program was to um, train um, students, student filmmakers, into the creative process of stereoscopic filmmaking, what it takes, not only in technical stuff, but also creative stuff and how to make decisions. That was a good program because it allows us to do a lot of experimentation and then also take some of the things that we know as cinematography for, for a very long time, apply that into uh, the stereoscopic medium, see what worked, see what didn't work, and then come up and learn from people who had done it before, but define some, some of the language of stereoscopic filmmaking. Towards 2016, as there was more hype about VR, and at that point, if I remember correctly, there was more of like 360 video coming up um, we started doing a lot of that, a lot of 360 video, um, hoping that we will be able to do 360 stereoscopic video pretty soon. And uh, anyways, we devised our own camera using uh, my, um, the micro black magics. Uh, and and it, was only, it was able to do stereoscopic, but only in the front um, without getting into too much detail because of the complexities that putting big cameras in a circle percent when doing a stereoscopic. Um, but later on, um, anyways, so as I was talking to Jim, the program dissolved around 2018 or so. Um, I was there, I was teaching um, a class uh, mostly to do with color, color grading. But also one of the other things that I was teaching was a class called Immersive Filmmaking that later on came uh, uh, to be called Directing for VR. And, and so here are some of the things that I've learned through that process and some ideas. Uh, and what I'm gonna talk about is mostly like probably stuff that is already redundant to some of you guys, um, but but it, it does provide some basis for what I really wanna talk about, which is content creation and think volumetrically about content creation and what I refer to as volumetric storytelling, which is mostly um, a combination of ideas and things that I've seen that worked from taking from stereoscopic cinema, applying to VR and adapting those to how can we tell stories in VR, but also um, in AR and also why not expand to like even, you know, internet of things and how can we uh, combine stories that exist in a virtual world with the real world, things like that. So what I'm trying to say is I'm going to make a lot of emphasis on this idea of spatial, spatial composition, spatial storytelling, but um, 
but it's mostly a, a combination of ideas, what I'm going to say, and, and, and things that may be a little redundant when talking about the technologies, but hopefully at the end of this conversation, we could all agree that the way to go with these kind of mediums is to think spatially, right? To think volumetrically. Um, and then I'll make my point a little bit stronger when, when I talk why, why I think that's, that's very, very important. Um, so yeah, so uh, as of this semester, I, I'm not gonna be teaching at UT anymore because I'm actually gonna be moving to Los Angeles or nearby Los Angeles, I haven't decided yet, um, because I'm gonna be starting teaching the program at Cal State Channel Islands. And, and some of these things that I'm gonna talk about is some of the ideas that hopefully I can incorporate into that program and train some students with these, with these ideas in mind. So having said that, uh, that's me, uh, that's Simone, and the title of this presentation is Metaverse Wondering, because I'm wondering what is this Metaverse hyped? What is this Metaverse talk about? What is it like uh, that, that people are so excited about? To me, it's exciting, but I'm also approaching it from a, from a point of a skepticism. A skepticism because in a way, what I see is a lot of the things that I saw with, with the stereoscopic filmmaking is that there's a lot of really good content with 3D films. Some content that you won't even, that you won't be able to appreciate unless you see the way that the creators intended it to. But at the same time, early on, and even towards an extent of like later, later with Hollywood tried to take it over, um, some of the stuff didn't work, right? And, and people became um, bitter about it. Audiences didn't like it. And it's like, why do you like 3D? Well, it gives me a headache. Well, I don't see the point. It was like, well, yeah, because they were Hollywood was making 3D for the sake of making money, not for the sake of telling a story or using tools to tell a story or to create an emotional um, impact. Um, early on at the beginning of 3D, there is a movie called Coming Agile, right? Where all they did was throwing stuff towards the screen. Of course, they're gonna give people headaches, right? They're messing with people's brain, messing with people's rot eyes rotation, all those things. And um, so hopefully with these, uh, you know, uh, thinking about what we wanna do, how this medium can help us to tell a story, will help, help future storytellers or even ourselves or even myself as a content creator to create stories that are impactful, immersive and emotional that satisfy the idea of presence and embodiment, all in what we refer to as the metaverse or how we wanna see the metaverse. So this conversation is more of a, of a suggestion of what I think the metaverse could benefit from. So what is the metaverse? And I, you know, if you Google it, if you try to read about it, if you go to conversations, uh, nobody seems to really have a real clear definition of it. Um, some people just call it the future of the internet, a 3D version of the internet, a parallel place of the physical world, a virtual space or a digital space. Some people have gone to the extent to say that the metaverse is going to replace cinema as we know it. And I don't know about that. I'm, I'm very, very skeptical about all those things. Um, because everybody seems to, to have a different definition that accommodates based on what they're trying to do, right? Um, so I'm, I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. However, what, what seems to be common here is that all these definitions, they try to focus on space and spatial ideas, right? 
the three version of the internet. What does that mean? Well, does that mean that I need to, um, when I explore the internet, things are going to come out of the screen and I'm going to experience things volumetrically? Does that mean that, uh, as in the case of augmented reality of where, where it stands right now, I'm going to see uh, a render of a three-dimensional object in the real world? But even though that's not necessarily 3D or stereoscopic, because I'm still rendering that 3D object in a two-dimensional screen, so having all these questions, I think I think that um, that at the very least what we can agree on is space. And what does that mean? Well, before I talk about spatial composition, um, I would like to talk about the technology because that seems to be also where the focus is. Um, like I was talking to Dominic early on before I started the conversation. And, and we were talking about uh, the Augmented Reality World Expo that was like about two or three weeks ago. Um, and, and as I was going through the expo, I noticed that most companies were really, really focusing on technology, right? There's a lot of cool tech, um, especially with haptics. That's, I think that's when, one of the things that I saw the most, but there was not a lot of content. I think I think the content is the part that, that, that we're still lacking. So talking about the technology, here is what I have, right? Here's what I think, or not what I think, what other people have said needs to be used in order to build the metaverse, right? Because as we know, the metaverse is just an idea, an idea with different definitions, depending on different people, but there's nothing, at least in my experience that I can say, hey, this is what the metaverse is. This is how you access it. This is exactly what you do, right? So when it comes to technology, we have, Internet of Things, right? Uh, you know, a Nest device, um, things that have to, that have to do with physical computing, sensors, things like that. Things that can exist in the real world and can do things for us. Artificial intelligence, machine learning, all that kind of stuff. Blockchain and Web three. Basically, um, my understanding is that Web three is is information that that exists based on on the blockchain, but also incorporates three-dimensionality, right? Uh, assets that are three-dimensional, uh, NFTs, non-fungal tokens. As, uh, I mean, anyways, we could talk about any of these technologies at an extent, but I'm just gonna list them just so we have a context of, of where I'm going with this. Internet, 5G, uh, obviously hap haptics, and then the convergence of XR technologies, AR, VR, MR, mixed reality, and spatial computing, right? So all these technologies, are, are, are what are supposed to build the infrastructure for the metaverse. And here are some of the layers. So experience, discovery, creator economy, spatial computing, decentralization, human interface and infrastructure. So when we're talking about to experience and content, so content, that's, that's what excites me the most, right? Games, social uh, events, esports, shopping, live theater, um, cinema, any kind of experience, right? Discovery refers to the idea of uh, advertisement networks, right? Social curation, ratings, agents, um, and how can those these networks kind of like bring uh, the, you know, like translate from the hype of the metaverse to actually to convert that into, into users, right? Into users that would like to spend a lot of time in, in what we refer as the metaverse, right? Then we have the creator economy, 
which includes design tools, asset markets, right? Workflow, commerce. So design tools, you know, we have Unity, Unreal, the game engines, uh, 360 cameras. If you're talking about just video, like editing software, editing software that ideally would support stereoscopic creation. Um, um, asset, asset markets such as TurboSquid, CG Trader, things like that. The next thing is a spatial computing, back to the 3D engines, but also hardware, right? AR, VR, XR. So what does that mean? Does that mean that if I want to access the metaverse, do I need one of these? My opinion is yes. If we wanna, if we wanna do a spatial composition and experience a spatial and space, uh, we do need a mechanism to for us to experience the world in a three-dimensional environment. Some other people argue that that's not the case. You can use your phone, or you know, such as in the case of augmented reality as it stands right now. And you can play Roblox. You can play a game um, and create all the things that involve uh, the metaverse without necessarily needing a device um, such an Oculus headset or things like that. Um, but that's up for debate, right? So the next thing is decentralization. We have things such as edge computing, obviously blockchain, blockchain, um, um, artificial intelligence. Um, and then the last thing, I, I misspelled that word, is supposed to say human interface. Oh, no, I spelled it right. It's human interface. If we want to talk about interface, we probably shouldn't just copy and paste what we already have, right? Because it's a different medium, so we need to compose for that medium. Uh, the idea that we need our space to become our interface. So the interface is our surroundings, right? The interface is our world, the world around us the world that we can inhabit. Um, that also should probably include, include haptics, voice, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we need infrastructure, right? How are we going to leverage all these three-dimensional renderings or high-resolution video, especially in the stereoscopic, or um, download of 3D assets if we don't have fast internet, right? So 5G will uh, and, and mobile internet. So 5G will play a role here. But also, in terms of just infrastructure alone, we probably need a lot of good computing hardware, right? Mostly like strong GPUs that, that can be um, leveraged with the devices. Like the Oculus Quest 2 is pretty good, but you know, there are times where like, you know, if you're designing, you have to still control your assets and kind of lower the resolution, lower number of polygons, things like that, as of, as of we are now. So the next thing is how do we access it? Well, what is our audience, right? So how do we leverage this audience, right? So as for now, AR headsets, right? We have Magic Leap, HoloLens, things like that. VR headsets, um, such as Oculus Quest 2, uh, Vive, et cetera. Phones or tablets, desktop computers, wearables. Uh, and like I said, some people do argue that in order to access this whole idea of the metaverse, we don't really need uh, headsets. Um, I, well, I think that is possible. I don't think that will give us the full experience of, of, of what we can create with content, right? So as you can see, most of the talks, at least what I've seen, um, most of the stuff that is being made right now, um, it's pretty much focusing on, on the technology, right? And that's great uh, because for me, 
as a content creator, that just gives me ideas. Ooh, what can I do with, with, with this kind of technology? What can I do to, to tell a story that hasn't even been told before and still affect my audiences emotionally, but in a, in a way that, that, that cannot be done through a, through a film, right? Or through a, through a book or, or anything like that. So, so that's good. The technology is great. It gives me ideas, but we do need to understand this technology. So here's the thing, what I think um, will make the metaverse uh, go mainstream is to focus on content rather than the technology, right? There's needs to be, there needs to be a strong content that audiences want to spend their time watching, experiencing, or consuming in order for a metaverse to really, really be um, take over, right? Otherwise, the technology alone, as we've learned from 3D filmmaking, uh, is not sustainable, right? So we also need to engage our audiences emotionally. Also, there's a lot of applications that are not just entertainment. And what I'm describing right now, it's a lot of entertainment, such as uh, other audiences, uh, other applications such as health, education, uh, training, things like that. But even that should probably still rely on a strong content and somehow engage audiences emotionally. Um, and then um, replication of content from audio mediums. Can, can we really do that? And my answer to that is no, because if we're just gonna go ahead and copy and paste something that has done really good in, in another medium, and then just adapt it one-on-one to this new uh, metaverse idea and this new this uh, this medium, I, I don't think um, you know. Then why? Then why? Why? What's the point, right? And also because when we're designing for for spatial for, for space for experience to be enjoyed in a space, we don't really rely on the same language on the same tools that we rely, say, on other mediums such as film or theater, etc. Like that, we can borrow ideas from there. But but doesn't mean that we can adapt them one on one because it probably is not going to work. And I'll and I'll expand on this in a little bit more, um, a little bit later. Okay. So the next thing is um, when designing content is think volumetrically. What does that mean? Well, what that means is that we're not used to thinking volumetrically as content creators. Mm, I know from like um, from my students, for example, and and from being in film school for a while, is that you know as as filmmakers, we're trained to think about how can we translate a world that is three dimensionality and put it on a flat screen, and there's different techniques of that, right? The, the lenses that we use, the lighting, and all the stuff, and that's great because we're still you know trying to represent a three dimensional world in a two dimensional screen, but in this scenario we're actually dealing with real space, right? So, so things such as that work in a 2D cinema or traditional cinema, such as editing, for example, is not gonna work for virtual reality, for augmented reality, right? Because we're not thinking volumetrically. Another scenario is, for example, in a film, and, 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 and as a film director, if I want my audience to notice something, um, well, I cut to a close-up, right? That whole idea of close-up needs to be reframed in, in this medium. In, in uh, stereoscopic filmmaking, 
we could get away with that close-up, but but that's when we start learning. It's like, what would I want to do a close-up when the audiences can actually see and experience the space as if they were actually there, right? This whole idea of presence. So instead of a close-up, maybe we redo our blocking with our actors. So we get the same idea without having to rely on those mechanics that are, are that work very well for 2D cinema, but may not work the same way that we that we want to them to work in these kind of mediums, right? Especially when thinking about uh, volumetric filmmaking. So think volumetrically is just um, it goes beyond just thinking. Oh, okay. Well, I just place an object behind another object. Um, it's a little bit more complex than that. Uh, I'll try to talk more about this in a little bit more in a little bit later. But um, but but thinking volumetrically has to do more with thinking about the space and how we position things within the space and how we position our audiences in relationship to those spaces, right? Giving them also the freedom to experience the space without overwhelming. Um, in, in other words, we suggest a strong points of view. We don't necessarily dictate that point of view. Um, focus on immersion, right? So back to this idea, well, if we can situate an audience or a user in a certain place, and they can accept that place as their first point of contact and then experience that place volumetrically, I think that's one step to, to think about immersion, right? Um, the more immersive it is, the, probably the more emotional I'm gonna get. And if it's a good story, probably the more I wanna, I will want to um, consume experiences in these mediums. Um, so anyways, so all this to say that focusing content and leveraging technology is important, right? So it almost sounds like a contradiction, right? And I'm not trying to say that technology is not important because it is, but we need to create the content that makes good use of this technology uh, in a way that is not just exploiting the, the, exploiting the technology. For example, back where I was saying in that movie coming at you in 3D, where like the whole movie, there was every scene, they were always throwing something at the audience, right? It's like, look what 3D can do. Let me, let me show you, right? In this case, the same thing. There's a lot of opportunities to do things, especially when it comes to interactivity, when it comes to three-dimensionality. But we have to be thinking about those in a way that those things serve our story, our story, not in a way that the story needs to serve the technology. And at the end of the day, we all want a good story, right? So if somebody such as myself, or anybody that wants to, wants to tell a story with this medium, I think the first thing that we should ask ourselves is ask ourselves why. What is it about this medium that we cannot achieve in other mediums? Um, well, in my opinion, there's a lot of things that we can do, right? This idea of presence, this idea of embodiment, this idea to teleport me in a place that I will probably have a really hard time if I was going to um, travel to such place, right? Or, or maybe impossible, maybe dangerous to go to that place. Well, with this medium, I could place a story and I could trans transport my audiences to those places and give them, give them that feeling and then give them that feeling of what that space can do for them, right? If I can treat that space as a character. So that could be one of those things, right? This medium can in fact, give us an opportunity to tell stories, to immerse our audiences in places that we wouldn't otherwise be able to with other traditional mediums, right? 
Um, and, and how can we also create experiences that are not just games, right? Like, uh, you know, when I talk to somebody who is not in the medium, who, who has never really heard about the word metaverse and all stuff, and I mentioned for the first time the metaverse, the first thing that they think about is, oh, okay, it's just games, right? So I can just play games. It's like, well, part of it it is, but there's other opportunities there that haven't been necessarily exploited that go beyond games, right? Um, as a filmmaker, you know, there's stories that are out there that are pretty good. A lot of them are bad, but a lot of them are pretty good. Like most of the stuff that Felix and Paul produces are pretty good, right? Uh, but also, I think we can still push this idea further of transporting people into virtual spaces, augmented reality places, but also physical spaces, right? How can we interact in stories that exist in a, exist in a virtual world, but also translate that to the physical world? And what can technology do for us as creators that another medium can do? Here's an example, and, and this may sound premature, um, but uh, when I was at the Augmented Reality World Expo a couple of weeks ago, I went to a booth of um, some um, a company. What they're doing is they're doing haptics. And they do have this device where like, you put it on your hands, and if you touch something that is supposed to be hot, it feels hot. And then if you, you touch something that is to be cold, um, it just feels cold. That's the technology, right? It's pretty cool. I thought it was pretty awesome. Um, I was into it. But after that, what happens? And it was like, well, I can tell is that it's pretty cool. I, it didn't do anything for me other than that. As a creator, if I can think of like, okay, what can I do if I can come up with a story? And then with like a directing I directed a scenario where like my audiences can experience some of that, some of those haptics within that story. I think that could translate to something where we can actually make an emotional connection. And that's in the scenario where no other medium could give me that experience. And if I can share that with my audiences, I think I could say something, maybe create, propel some change, maybe propel some idea convince them emotionally to take some sort of action, right? Which is what we want to do as storytellers, right? We don't just want to tell a story for, for the sake of telling a story. We want to create some sort of impact in our audiences. And if that impact can be stronger with with good of use of the tools, then I think, I think this is a great opportunity, right? This is the part that excites me. And, and also, um, here's the other thing, um, when it comes to creation and technology, we need to understand the technology to really hone our intentions, right? What I'm trying to say is you have, for example, filmmakers that come from a 2D background. They're very good at it. And they want to come in and create experiences for, for, for space, um, for the medium. The things that they know how to do really well on the 2D, they're not going to apply, right? So part of the work is to see what the technology can do so I can actually craft a story that actually makes good use of the technology, right? So I don't just exploit the technology for the sake of exploiting the technology, but also so I don't just miss an opportunity of what the technology can do by trying to copy and paste what other medias had already done and have done really well. And, and last is, can we affect our audiences emotionally with this medium? And if the answer is yes, then I, I think, yeah, we, we're, in, we're in good track. So back to this idea of thinking spatially. So we're used to making compositions in X, Y dimensions, right? 
if we if we if I'm making a film, uh, you know, I'm trying to translate the three-dimensional world into an X and Y composition, right? I, I'm I'm thinking of like, okay, well, my subject's head should be, you know, um, at the uh, points of power, right? Or or it should be like a little bit up, a little bit down, a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right. But that that's all I'm thinking of. Well, with this medium, we have to really, really work to think spatially, right? So instead of thinking of just X and Y compositions, we should also be thinking about X, Y, and C compositions. Um, it sounds easy, right? I just go and be like, okay, well, instead of just thinking up, down, left, and right, I also think front and back. Well, yeah, except that, except that there is more than, than just thinking front and back when it comes to three like three dimensional compositions, right? Because I'm thinking front and back, then my first instinct is to think of as a subject, subject of an actor moving from front and back, left and right, up and, up and down. But that's not thinking spatially. That's just moving an actor through space. Thinking spatially means that we're actually thinking intentionally from the moment of we're crafting a story of a composition of what this space is doing for us, right? That's one. And if I want to have that space, some sort of dimensionality, a white screen in the background is not going to do it, right? I probably need to give it texture. I probably need to do some production design, right? To, to make things uh, inhabit this space, right? Maybe I need to think of foreground, middle ground, background. And then also if I'm doing 360, then what's on the back? What's on the left? What's on the right? And also where do I situate my, my point of view, my audience in the first space? Uh, in this three-dimensional space, in that in that sphere, or however you want to look at it, but ideally, is I'm not I need I, I I'm not just walking in a blank space, but rather in a space that is filled with depth cues, right? Things that give me a reference of where objects are situated in relationship with other objects, and if I can do that, I think I can create a richer world. I can also create a a, a world that that is more immersive, and also. I'm thinking about volumetrically. Speaking of volumetrically, another thing to consider is if I want to create some sort of empathy, probably an actor that is far away may not do their job for me, right? Um, we know for a fact that we have binocular vision, but actually we only see binocular, like three dimensions in stuff that is right near to us, past 30, 40 feet, we actually don't see um, three dimensions. We think we do because we have depth cues that allows us to understand the world in three dimensions. But when it actually comes with binocular vision, we only see binocular visions about 30 feet or so, right? So thinking about that, then then I can I can uh, use economics to tell my story still in the volumetric space. But also part of what creates empathy in audiences is reactions, right? If I see somebody cry, you know, we tell, I, I, I'm going to feel some sort of empathy. If I see somebody do like micro, micro movement with their faces, right? The spatial language, body language, all that stuff. So I can use this volumetric idea to even enhance that, right? So it's different when I see somebody's faces in a flat screen over Zoom versus when I'm in front of them. And then I can see the three-dimensionality of somebody's face, their roundness, right? That's stuff that I don't consciously think about it. But subconsciously, I'm making decisions, um, judgments about this other person based on those little things. And those are the things that if I'm thinking volumetrically when creating a story, when creating content, 
I can actually emotionally affect my audience, right? Lighting plays a big factor in this scenario. Um, so anyways, like I said, the space around us play a big factor. We have to think about the space when it comes to composition, not just as a space that exists in the space, but a three-dimensional space that benefits by creating depth cues, by adding production design, and by thinking how the subject is going to move around the space. Um, and also, what's the relationship between the subject or subjects with the audience or the user, right? And how the user is placed and how the user is going to also potentially move around this space and what kind of encounters uh, he or she or they are going to have. So anyways, so um, one, this is the part that, that I think is very, very important. Make use of esteropsis when thinking about content creation. Um, so what is esteropsis? Esteropsis is defined as the idea that we are capable of seeing three dimensions, right? Binocular vision, pretty much. Um, most people have esteropsis, some people don't, but most people do. And, um, and what I mean is back to the idea that I was saying when, when some people claim that the metaverse can only be can can all can can only be accessed through cell phone or can potentially just also be accessed through cell phones. To me, that's missing the full experience, right? To me, the full experience is to understand this world, to see this world the way we see our physical world, right? If we really want to go go there, then we have to take full advantage of of what the different devices can offer, right? So. So yeah, so thinking about esteropsis is, is also a good idea, right? But also when it comes to that, then we gotta be careful because you know, esteropsis in a headset, for example, it's an optical illusion. That means that we see the left image, the right image at different angle, our, our brain interprets that as depth, and then we make relation, our brain makes the relationships based on that, right? So because of that, there's a potential to create problems. So in the moment of thinking spatially, we have to be thinking about what those problems could be and how can we give our audiences a seamless, natural experience um, that is not going to create some potential physical problems later. And and we can talk about a, a lot about that, but 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 that'll probably be a lot more talks. Um, so anyways, so then the other thing about thinking spatially is that we don't only need to focus just on the visuals right? We can also think about sound, right? A spatial sound. And what can sound do for us to tell stories, right? Um, if I can hear something in the background or foreground, then those are going to give me cues to maybe direct my user's attention, right? Or if I see some sound that is going from far away, maybe I want to get closer to that or walk closer to it. Um, and then the other thing, why not think about also this infrastructure as, as a spatial, right? The internet, um, the uh, this whole idea that I could leverage internet of things to think about relationships that I can do in a virtual space or a digital generated space with with, with scenarios that um, that can exist in, in an actual physical environment, right? And then also in order to, to think about especially um, the social aspect of it, right? And, and then that's when we can start getting into into things about like what is like personal space versus shared space, things like that. You know, when when we have avatars having sharing the same experience or whatever, um, you know, how the relationship between these two avatars enhance 
or challenge each other and then we can talk about ethics and all that stuff um so okay so i'm, I'm just gonna give a quick example here of what this uh special thinking is in in a very simple um scenario that that may not be translatable from from traditional filmmaking into um into this space right away when i was working for light planet uh part of what i did at light planet light planet is is uh it's it's a company that they were trying to do a 360 stereoscopic camera that will stitch on board um and and anyways uh, i was brought on board to help their post-production team and also give my recommendations about the camera and and ideas for best captioning stereoscopic media but here's my example my example is that when when i joined the team they didn't uh they hired some editors uh that are really good editors uh in, in a 2d space but one of the first things that that i noticed that was pretty that wasn't working was that the experiences that they were creating because the camera is stereoscopic and, and most of them was uh music so when we were put on the headset uh, it was fine, right? Uh, there were some problems that the stitching of camera will do, but but other than that, it was fine. But part of the, the, the what they wanted to do, they wanted to put titles, right? And and there was a title on the experience, and the title was supposed to be show up in in below the artist or something like that. But when you look at that title, there was something really strange that will be hurting your eyes. And 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 then anyway, so. So I knew what it was, and basically what it is is that when you're thinking about volumetrically, when you're thinking about space, we're, we're in the real world. If I'm looking at something, and then I'm looking at something behind it, and I know that something is behind it is what behind what I'm looking at because I have depth cues, right? Uh, size, uh, 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 what's called escapability, things like shadow and light, things like that. But one of the things that that I understand that when an object is behind another object is occlusion, right? So in 3D, when we were, when I put up the headset, you achieve depth of an image in stereoscopic imaging by separating those images, right? And depending how far you separate them is where you put them on space. So what these editors were doing, they were putting the um, the titles at a certain depth. But that was, in fact, behind the subject. So when I look at it, my, my brain thinks it's like, okay, well, I'm not seeing any occlusion. I'm seeing the whole text, but that text is in the wrong depth. Therefore, I'm getting confused. It's giving me a headache. My eyes hurt. So it was easy. I was, what I told them is like, every time you guys have to put titles, make sure that you watch it in, in, in space. You can actually put the titles at the right depth because if you don't, that's one of the first things that is going to make your audiences take off your the glasses, take off the headsets, and then we lose we lose audiences, right? Because to get them back is going to be extremely hard. If you don't give that audience a great experience the very first time, it's we're going to lose them, right? For us, we we care about the technology, we are excited about it, we we we're excited about the things that that we can do, but for most people. The average user, they don't care. They either get a good experience or they don't. If they get a good experience, they want to do it again. If they don't, uh, they may be a little more reluctant the next time. Um, so, okay. So one of the things that as a storyteller, um, 
I like to have, and I'm sure everybody who likes to tell stories is um, will agree on this, is that we have we, we want to have control, right? And that's one of the first things that when we're thinking especially, we kind of have to let go some of it, right? In a 2D medium, if I'm composing an image, I know where my audience is going to look. I know, I know where they're going to look first, and I want to control that, whether it's through composition or through editing, et cetera. In an XR medium, we can only offer strong points of view. We cannot necessarily um, dictate where our audiences are gonna be looking at every single point, right? Um, so one of the things we should probably do is put ourselves in the audience's shoes and understand what the emotional, physical, and cognitive experience based on that strong point of view. I can create uh, an experience where like, you know, where the point of attention is, where I want to look, and and then that doesn't mean that they're always going to be looking in that direction. Uh, one of the things that we learned with 360 video is that to put stuff all over 360 is not necessarily the best approach, right? Because it's kind of it's a little bit overwhelming, and especially when wearing a headset, you don't want audiences to be you know being a contortionist after 10, 10 minutes or whatever. Uh, so, so whereas we lose a little bit of control, we still want to offer strong points of view, strong tension points, things like that. And we also need to understand that this idea of storytelling in, in the metaverse or for virtual reality, mental reality, we need to understand that audiences have a strong um, immersion, uh, presence, this idea of presence, this idea of um, embodiment, right? And how can we also lever leverage interactivity, right? Is the audience's participatory element on what the story happens and how is that not a game? Um, or can we allow them to just observe and participate at given moments? And how can we leverage other things such as what I was describing with haptics and give them a, a strong experience of being there, being present, right? Um, one of the things that I like to suggest to my students is that interactivity doesn't have to be a game, right? Because if you do that, then you're doing a game, right? If you do this, then you go to C or branch narrative. When you're creating an experience, interactivity can be something as subtle as just like, hey, look at this, this part right here or, or share your experience with somebody or, um, or, or in the case of like haptics, right? Like at certain uh, specific points of the story, then give your audiences um, a touch or something, right? Something that reflects what you're trying to say. But again, without exploring just technology, so just for exploring the technology, but rather using the technology to enhance what you're trying to say as a storyteller. And also the other scenario, there's there's two um, there's two scenarios here when it comes to interactivity. You can either find let your user find the story, or you can serve the story, right? And those are two different trains of thought, two different approaches. Uh, nothing is uh, I don't mind either one, I think every story deserves a different approach depending what the content is. But the one thing that ideally we would be doing here is to create satisfying narratives, right? At the end of the day, it could be an experience, but if I can create a satisfying narrative and I can emotionally affect my audience, then I think, I think I've done a good job. Um, anyways, so because of the strong sense of presence that our audiences have, um in, in the creation of this I and mean, also how this how we actually create experiences or, or try to build experiences we cannot forget the whole idea about 
identity, right? One of the things with the metaverse is that it was going to allow people to define a virtual identity that is going to be different than everybody else. It's kind of like in the real world, right? So we should can factor this idea of identity when building experiences. What is our audience? Who's our audience to begin with? And what? How can we tailor um, these experiences to give to the audiences that will satisfy their identity, but also help them build build their identity further, right? In order for this to actually be um, done done properly, I think there needs to be a very full and trusted identity, right? So people cannot just like copy somebody else's identity and, and then, you know, pretend they're somebody else because that could create some problems there. But also for us creators, if I can understand my audience's identity, then I can understand what I can do better, what can what what they like, right? And, and accommodate my content based on that. And accommodate my voice based on that. Um, identity is usually represented by avatars. And part of this avatar situation is that, uh, I don't know if you guys have experience I'm sure you guys have experienced a lot of experiences in 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 VR um, or AR. Is that there is like a lot of different ways to create an identity based on different app that you're using, right? Uh, if you're if you have experience or or play with the uh, with a, with Oculus uh, Quest in Unity, and you play with Oculus avatars, I think the new version is 2.0, SD, the SDK 2.0. That's one way to look at it. But if you go to big screen, for example, then they have their own way of doing their avatars and identity. So, so there's like there's discrepancies right there, right? So if we can actually create an interoperability and, and then define this identity on different different applications, I think that'll be a good thing. However, however, then it goes the question: who actually owns these identities and who governs governs the verifiable and trusted identity, right? If you ask Meta then they'll tell you they'll they'll do it right however this is where blockchain could come into place right so it's not something decentralized but could be decentralized giving the user more agency on their own identities and their own data so this could be done with privacy by design now for me this is just suggestion right at the end of the day i'm not the one who's actually going to build this i'm the one that hopefully is going to use this to create content or provide a scenario for future filmmakers, future storytellers, future content creators, some idea of the tools available so they can create these new, new stories, uh, things like that. All right, so also when it comes to that, when it comes to identity, we have these scenarios of spaces, right? And we're talking about the idea that the space it plays a role, this place, if we can use space as a character, then what about experiences that happen in a shared space and, and who owns this space, right? Digital property, right? Now, who owns it and what are the rules associated with these spaces? What can users do and not do? And then how the um, information that is presented as an identity can actually be uh, leveraged for a certain space. And how do we build experiences for shared spaces and define the rules of it? Now, I'm I'm not sure about this necessarily, like how how or where it's gonna go. Um, I can just think of ideas as a storyteller, as a content creator of oh, okay, well, what if this experience only happens in this given space, and and that's it, right? Nobody else can recreate it because it can only happen on this given space, and everybody who wants to experience this can come to this this specific space. 
And, and, and what I'm going to say is, is an example of, uh, what, uh, of an idea that a friend of mine was telling me uh, that, that works for Meta. When I, I was, I am skeptical about NFTs, right? And, and I was telling my friend about my skepticism about NFTs. His perspective was it's like, well, that's because it's too early uh, on, on that idea, right? But what if like we can create experiences where like people can own digital property or digital assets that can only be able to render on a specific space? So that way you can verify that the identity of that person is who they say they are based on, on their digital property. I'm still skeptical about it, but, but it's an idea. And if I want to think about storytelling and content, I should probably consider, right? And maybe do more research and then see how I can leverage this, this, this idea, this, this tool potential to tell a story, right? Um, I don't know. I may not be the one that may come up with the greatest idea, but maybe some somebody, somebody younger will, and they will use it. And then they will actually... Um, make me not so skeptical about it, right? I'll be like, okay, digital property, this is it. At the end of the day, what I'm looking for is how can we use all these for strong content and to create an emotional impact? The next thing is interfaces. So when it comes to the metaverse, you know, we're used to the two-dimensional space, right? We look at our phones, we're, we're situated in our phones, we, we have our gestures to interact with information, etc. But in this idea of the metaverse, when it should probably shift rotation from the screen to the world around us, right? How can we potentially place information in the world around us and interact with it um, in a way that is as, as satisfactory as, as how we interact with mediums in the 2D world? Uh, we can do it also through speech, thought, gestures, and I think good design, it's imperative here, right? Um, building with space and depth in mind, right? That's that's the whole idea, especially space, Spatiability, um, thinking spatially, it's, it's, it's paramount here. Okay, so immersive content and getting past the hype, right? As a physics stands now with the metaverse, it seems that there's a lot of hype. It seems that there's a lot of speculation, but nobody seems to really tell me exactly what to do, right? If you look at other mediums, uh, the internet, we know what the internet can do. Um, Filmmaking, right? We know, we understand the film right away, right? Theater, we know what to expect, how to behave, how to interact with, with theater. And then with the metaverse, it's still a blank canvas, right? It's still, we're still trying to define it. And as we're starting right now, I think there's a lot of hype. I think to get past that hype, if we can focus on strong immersive content, it was a good idea. Not necessarily, the technology will help us, but we shouldn't just focus on the technology alone. As we learn from 3D films, focusing on technology alone, um, audiences will, will get tired of it, right? But if there's content and content that I can only experience in this place that is gonna emotionally satisfy me or my audiences, I think that's the way to go. Make a strong use of space, create memorable positive emotional experiences to get audiences to adopt metaverse, right? Think volumetrically. Um, and under, obviously understand the technology and all that will help drive user participation. Uh, there is this idea that uh, what's called the Melkafi law, that the value of a network is derived from the amount of users that it has. Same thing here, right? The value of the metaverse is gonna be derived 
by the by user adoption and participation, right? Um, not just people who 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 like working on these or who are fascinated by the technology, such as myself, probably yourselves, but just the average user. What kind of content can they experience that they're not going to be able to experience anywhere else? If we can get there, and then I think then then that's that's the way to go. Opportunities. Well, this is the exciting part for me. Uh, new storytellers, new voices, right? Uh, as a content creator, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to create content and put it in the mainstream without getting distribution or, or without going through all these mechanics, infrastructures that are already in place that, that leave a lot of people out. Um, and we probably as audiences will never get to experience different kind of content because of the mechanics that is in place that control distribution. Well, here, it's an opportunity for new, story, new storytellers, new voices, right? To tell stories that can only be experienced here, but also something that seems fresh. There's a room for experimentation and stories that can happen in a real space, right? Audiences that can interact with characters in the same space. And um, the audience is part of that idea of presence, immersion, and embodiment, and the relationship between the audiences creators and the direct feedback that the creators can get by their audiences potentially in real time right so so that that that's the the part that that excites me and with that we also have the creator economy and the immersive experience economy right where where we can actually as creators monetize if we can create experiences where the audiences are willing to to spend time in, in your spaces, right? Because you're actually getting the users a, a feeling, a feeling that they're not gonna get anywhere else. Uh, all this stuff, the, you're spending time in a certain in a certain space in the metaverse, and the premium or the value that audiences can get from there, I think it's a good opportunity for to create an economy, an economy of experiences, an economy of watching. Um, what are some of the challenges with this? Well, designs and experiences not factoring the limitations of hardware. Like this Oculus Quest, right? I think if I wear it for like 15 minutes, it's pretty awesome. But for me, after past 15 minutes starts getting a little bit weird because especially here in Texas where it's hot, put on the thing, starts getting foggy, right? And in terms of depth perception, if the lenses get foggy, well, what they're creating is they're creating a different image from the left and the right. This is called return rivalry, where I see slightly different, something that is different on the two images. And that's affecting me how I perceive depth. So with that, then, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm tend to be like, okay, this is pretty cool, but I'm gonna take it out, right? So with that in mind as we stand now, well, maybe we should limit our experiences to, to shorter periods of time. When the technology gets better, maybe that's gonna help us, you know, tell longer stories and, and actually, uh, get audiences to wear this more often for longer periods of time. As for now, I don't think that's the case. It's also pretty heavy. And also, you know, like, what if I'm wearing it and want to, want to scratch my nose or something? It's just pretty weird. Um, so when it comes to hardware, maybe hardware manufacturers should probably factor that in. Once thing gets better, then I think it also will be better for content creators. Lack of computing power and resources. Um, this is pretty cool, but the graphics are not that great. And it has to do with computing power, right? Once we actually can get more computer power uh, and maybe render more real life experiences, I, I think that that can be 
pretty great. Nausea and vomiting, getting DC, all those things that come with like bad content, right? If I'm shaking the camera or like shaking in a 360 video, for example, shaking the camera too much and watching it messes up with my um, stabilization and, and it can create nausea and vomiting. So we have to factor it in. Sweat is what I was saying. The, the, the device can get pretty sweaty, um, can cause create, uh, discomfort and retrorivalry and then disorientation, right? So as a creator, I need to factor it. Like, you know, if I want my audiences to move around the space, you know, what kind of, um, how can I make the experience better, right? How can I make the experience more comfortable? And, or discomfort, if that's what I want to create, but but it needs to be intentional. Um, and then last, a couple of last things, and then I'll stop here. Um, Actually, I'm going to show a video of one of the things that we did at University of Texas with an augmented reality project, and I'll stop right there. Data is another thing that is interesting here, where we have the ability to gather, gather uses data to enable more tailored experience, right? If I can own that data as a creator, then I'll be able to understand where my audiences are going, and then I can be able to sustain future projects, make them better um, with, with a direct feedback. That also comes a matter of ethics with who owns the data and all that stuff. But last but not least, content is king, but needs to be done right, understanding the technology. We cannot just copy and paste other mediums into it because there are things that are not, that work great for that medium doesn't mean that it's gonna work for this new medium for the metaverse. Spatial compositions play a big factor in the design. Stories play a big factor. We definitely need to understand what technology can do to make these stories better. And technology alone will not make the metaverse succeed in its content, strong content, right? Content creators need to play a bigger role in this. And we need to leverage the technology of the metaverse in a way that makes sense for the content and the stories being or, or built around it. And also um, I think a step further is to not just limit to the experience to a single device, but also make use of everything that the whole idea of the metaverse has to offer, right? Internet of things, the phones, access, all this stuff. Um, go uh, and then with that, then hopefully we can go past beyond the speculation of what the metaverse can do, and maybe define it in a way that our audiences will understand, enjoy, and and get a benefit, and and get emotions out of it. Um, so yeah, so I, I guess uh, this is my presentation. But uh, real quick. Um, I'm just gonna show you really quick a video of what one of the things that, that we did at the University of Texas. It was, um, it's, um, we did two things. We did a map of augmented reality and then we did a, a tour. And as you can see here, um, and I'll just play really quick and I'll go, I'll talk over it. Um, the idea is that Bebo comes out at the University of Texas and it gives you a tour of, of the UT campus. But we were trying to tell a story. And the story is that at some point, something happens where, where the world goes black and white and you have to restore the, um, the medals, right? The, the icon, the, the values of the University of Texas, right? So we, uh, so we did that and then you, walk, you can walk around Bevo and find these characters that are iconic to the University of Texas. Um, and then, one of the things I think is that this is cool and all, but we're still early on the technology, in my opinion, right? Like you see like that squirrel, it's just not on the right depth. There's some good tracking and all that. But um, anyways, 
it's cute. And I think, you know, right now we experience this on the phone, once Magic Leap or, or um, I think Apple is coming with some AR glasses in the, in the future or something. And then we can experience that and experience that properly. Then I think this will be very interesting. It's very exciting to think about the opportunity that that, that can create. Um, yeah, I'll just fast forward this really quick. Uh, there's also a map that that comes with this and you get to play with Vivo on the UT campus. This is geolocated, so it only works at UT. Uh, I think we but, have, uh, we, we didn't see the share. Do you wanna reshare it again? Oh, you didn't see the video? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so sorry, I wish- <laughs> No worries, no worries, yeah. So let me just play really quick then. I apologize. Uh, so let me just put it in the screen here. I'm going to share screen. Okay, can you see now? Yes. Okay, so I'm just going to play do really quick and then you just get the idea of what we're talking about. So Bebo comes out. Oh, hi there, partner. And he's supposed to talk to you. He's going to give you a tour. Let's take a walk so I can show you this beautiful campus. I'll be your guide. Whoa, what's going on here? Everything's turned black and white. Looks like UT Austin has lost its spirit. We gotta fix this. Look around and we'll find out what happened. I think Ace is nearby. Let's go talk to him and figure out what's going on. So you see the tracking is not it's not perfect. And I, hey, I this is this was done using here? eight wall. But the um uh, from what I hear, Niantic, since, since the, they all got absorbed by Niantic, now they they made this better. So it'll be interesting to see with this with better tracking, better depth positioning, and actually not just look at it in your phone, but in actual with actual augmented reality glasses that can give you a good representation of depth and where things are. But you guys get the idea. And yeah. Yeah, cool. So yeah, um, anyone has any questions, feel free to unmute yourself and uh, share your question. Thank you. Well, one of the things that really stands out for me for this talk is you talk about stereoscopic 3D. We've had presenters here who had beautiful products with 3D in the name of their company. This is like the CEO and founder of the company. And I said, uh, does your product support stereoscopic 3D? And he said, what's that? So um, <laughs> it's really a breath of fresh air to see you talking about stereoscopic 3D. Well, it's um, important, right? I mean, if we really want to use, make use the, of the leverage, make, make good of, if, use of immersion, it's like, um, it's like Oculus venues, right? Like the Foo Fighters concert. I don't know if you guys saw it, but you know, it just feels like a, they just put like a flat screen in front of me and I didn't feel immersed or anything. Just felt, it just felt off. So yeah. I think should play a big role in this. Yeah. And there's a lot of differences uh, between content preparation for stereoscopic 3D, like you described versus the 2D stuff that we normally get. And um, like I go to a lot of photography uh, talks and so forth. And people say, well, we have to follow the rule of two thirds. And I think, well, which eye are you talking about? The left eye or the right eye? Because you can do it in one, but not the other. And really the rule of two thirds is for someone who has one eye. 
Right. Uh, so um, uh, there's a lot of interesting things. And I think it's, for me anyways, it is so much more interesting to see things in stereoscopic 3D. Um, and, and so I think this is such a vital thing. So I think you're sort of, in a sense, fighting an uphill battle uh, because so many people don't think anything about this at all. Um, uh, another thing is, and, and I'm sure you've noticed this, these technologies come in waves, they come and go. Mm -hmm. And we've seen the 3D waves come and go. Uh, we've seen the VR waves come and go. And I think what's important is you have to sort of get some momentum. You have to get some momentum when these waves start. Because if you don't get that momentum marketing wise and so forth, then the wave is just going to pass by. And so I think that's very important. And, and so I'm always looking to see whether we are really catching the wave and getting the momentum uh, or not for this latest phase, you know, that is the metaverse in this case. What do you think? What do you think? Do we, are we catching the wave or is it starting to slip away a little bit? That's a, that's a good question. And you're right. It's like, it come, comes and goes, right? Comes and goes. Um, from what I've seen recently, I think we're just about to catch a wave, but I'm not sure if you'll stay though. Yeah. I'm not sure if you'll stay in and the reason is because from the conversations I had with people from, from presentations I had with people or I've, I've, I've seen, they just, um, too much excitement, too much excitement, but I, but I don't just need somebody tell me this is the greatest thing in the world, right? I need to see it. Right. Um, you know, when I saw like, when I saw 3D, when I was a student at uh, an undergrad student and I saw Coraline in 3D and I saw that that new wave of 3D, that was super exciting. So I was like, this is, this is something I want to do. And then nothing happened for a while. And then, you know, and then came gravity. And then I saw, if you saw gravity in 3D, I was like, okay, this is, this is what it needs to be done. But, but then most of the other content was not very good. It was not very well taught. So, so, you know, it died, right? Yeah. Great televisions, great technology, not a lot of good content out there. And this is kind of like what I'm seeing right now, where, where, where we have great technology, great, great things that I was like, oh, wow, somebody could just do something using these and do it right. I think, you know, this could stay. But I haven't seen it. And, and I may be wrong, right? Like, like I was describing Oculus venues and, and, and I've gone there for, for just to see what it's all about. And you see all these avatars talking to each other and, and telling, oh, this is great and whatever. But I'm looking at it, it's like, well, no, it's not. It could be much better, right? Yeah. And they're not doing it. And I understand why they're not doing it because, um, because they don't want to deal with stereoscopic uh, because it, it does present the challenges. Or, or um, there's this company here in Austin who does like training for baseball. And one of the things that I was suggesting was, uh, hey, you should do this in stereoscopic because you're already having people put in some glasses. And they were like, oh, no, it's too hard for us. We don't want to, we, we're not going to do it. It's like, well, yeah. so I don't know. I Back to your question, I think I think it's a way, I, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, it may stay. Um, yeah. But you're right. If we can take advantage of the wave and make it stay, then 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 yeah, there's a lot of opportunity. I know in the 3D club, uh, 
what they're always complaining about is lack of venues, especially now, you know, with, with the pandemic and theaters closing and so forth. And um, I, I told them at one of the meetings, uh, you know, there are like 120 million uh, households in the United States and 10 million Meta has sold, Meta Facebook has sold 10 million Oculus Quest 2s. Now that's a venue. Yeah, that, you know what? And actually, I, I, that's a venue. That's a venue. Um, yeah, so, and it's actually not that hard to build an app that can just take that and, and put a venue, right? So that's a project actually I've been wanting to do. I just haven't had the time for it. I, I built a small prototype. It looks terrible, looks pretty bad, but but yes, you're right. That's a venue, and and I don't know. I know Big Screen has kind of thought about it, but but they have thought about it in a different way because there's no curation, right? No yeah. curation outside of the mainstream, right? Like yeah. So and and you know, there's a lot of good content out there um, that just nobody's gonna see. But uh, but yeah, so that will be something interesting. You're right. That's a venue, and if people can experience this content that. Mm, that the device by itself can it's able to do then uh i don't know i think that could be a great great thing if i could say something um uh in terms of the metaverse it's still a niche in the niche market that it's not getting its proper way right now but um in terms of the vr immersive have you heard of the um the fantasy dome getting built in las vegas no i haven't Oh, it just go ahead and do a quick Google up. It's pretty much like it says, like a dome, um, and it's built for all these H, uh, HD level uh, uh, teleprompters. No way, sorry, um, cameras that you can see three hundred and sixty with, and they're really putting the theater version of what VR could be. And the um, when the, where the people sit down and everything, if like say they're going through a breeze of a cold forest or anything, they actually throw in a breeze or anything. So a very immersive kind of way. So I was kind of thinking that it's still going to be have to be at a location. Like if what what were theaters before, it's going to be VR places theaters right now, and then maybe metaverse will be in its own kind of way when people actually start i want this kind of thing in my own home that sounds pretty that looks pretty awesome mm -hmm. one of the things i also forgot to mention is this whole idea of volumetric capture right but volumetric capture is expensive and it's hard it needs a lot of computing powers so as a creator you know that's kind of determined that that the technology volumetric capture is not it's not really there 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 yet that is super accessible, but yeah, I'm looking at this uh, fantasy dome. This looks pretty, pretty cool. Right. And like, okay, if it was in steps, like when theaters, people, uh, that motivated people to get surround sound and bigger screens at TV. So now they got the theater experience at home. Now with this VR experience, then they'll have home experiences adapted to that. And then the metaverse could actually get a footing to actually be as immersive as you wish it to be. I think so. I think so. Uh, you know, and leverage so leverage the social thing, make the hardware better, um, mm -hmm. better, better, better uh, graphics, um, and 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 yeah. And I think 
and I think people will want to uh, use it more. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I have a qu another question. Um, how would one go about to maybe making a financial gain where the metaverse is right now? If I have like VR or XR technology on my on my hand right now, how would someone go about to making a financial uh, gain out of that? Well, uh, I, I honestly, I mean, there's like talk, right? Personally, I haven't done it, so I'm not sure if I... If I'll be qualified to tell you that, right? Um, I can tell you this. Um, I made a, I, I shot a 3D film a while ago. And, and, you know, it got some sort of like distribution. But then I was like, well, it's a 3D film. So I, I want people to watch in 3D film, except like, you know, people are not going to, you know, where am I going to put it, right? Because I'm not like a big name or anything like that. So where am I going to put it and have people watch it in 3D? So then it occurred to me, what if I just make it into an app that, uh, you know, that that can be, that keep, people can access it if they have a headset. So I did that. I actually did it for the Oculus Go. And then I was like, well, you know, I have to think about the infrastructure behind it. So how are people going to access it? And and I cannot just pack the, the video stream into the app. So actually people have to download it. So you have to do it on Amazon S3, whatever. Point is, it costs me, every time somebody downloads it, it costs me something. And I was like, well, I could do it. I never done this before. And we'll see, we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens. But then it occurred to me, there's not a lot of experiences here. So I'm just gonna charge a little bit and see what happens. Partially was because I wanted to experiment with the Oculus payment system. That was really the main the main thing, and and the thing is that I made about three hundred dollars, uh, which is not a lot, but for me not promoting it or anything, it's something. So I don't know exactly. You know, there's the whole idea of non-fungible tokens. I think there's a lot of hype. I think, uh, like I was talking to Wes earlier on, I think that's gonna die pretty quick. Um, because it's not sustainable. It's not actually grounded in anything that I'm like really, really interested. I think the way to go about it is do some content, um, good content that people want, um, release it so a lot of people can talk about it, give you some buzz, give you some good marketing, good, good uh, word of mouth marketing. And then after that, figure a way to like create a business model or monetize out of it. I'm, I'm sure like, you know, there's other people who can, give better advice with this. I don't, I'm not sure if I'm qualified to do it, but I can just tell you about my personal experience. Okay. I, I think there is a, a good use of NFTs and it's, it's not the way they're being used right now. Everything is on a speculative basis right now for those. But um, I've talked to a number of artists and I'm an artist myself. And um, an NFT is, from a legal standpoint, it's a good way to uh, bundle a set of rights for a work and sell that, sell that work as that bundle. Um, so, uh, for example, when you sell someone a painting or, or just, a, a, let's say, a framed print, they're just getting one copy of that framed print. 
But if you're talking to someone who's in the business of you know producing content and so forth, if you can sell your entire copyright, for example, uh, in that work, then that's a bundle that you're selling, a bundle of rights. And other than NFTs, there's really not an easy way to do that right now. Uh, there's not an easy way for someone to run around and browse the contents that's, that's available in, the, in terms of a bundle and, um, and buy it. But when you talk about F NFTs, there's a way to do that. And one of the things we're seeing right now in this sort of speculative, frothy phase of NFTs is that a lot of these NFTs are landing in court because people were selling bundles of rights that they didn't own in, in these sure. NFTs. <laughs> so I, th I, think, um, I think they'll be more useful in the future. Uh, one, and, 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 you know, the speculative phase will sort of peter out. Yeah, I, 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 that's a, that's the thing. That, like I was talking to my friend on Facebook, and he's like, "Well, once the content takes off, and and this, you have this idea about identity, and people start actually building a clear identity of who they are in this environment, and it becomes more popular, then this whole idea of ownership and and owning owning digital property, then then that seems to be a a good business model, a reliable." Um, and, and be a way to just, you know, enhance your identity. You, you actually see it in, in cases such as Roblox, right? Where like, or, or people who are really into like uh, role-playing games that they just buy items, right? And we know it's just like models, what they're buying, but they buy them, they own them, and then they give them like credits or some sort of status or things like that. And, and, and it just has to do with like identity, right? So yeah, I like Jim says like I don't I don't I haven't like right now I don't know about like I'm skeptical about it, but uh, but then you know there may be some applicability to it coming up or or some value that uh, that is not being exploited at the moment. I think another interesting thing is uh, you talked about immersive content and stereoscopic 3D, and um, my my feeling is that you know you really want stereoscopic 3D and and as you and I know it's not something that you just all of a sudden do one day without any training because there are a lot of pitfalls that you're going to run into um, and it has to be done right in order to stop people from throwing up so um, uh, the question then becomes how do we get this stereoscopic 3D incorporated significant and significant amounts and significant numbers in uh, like the metaverse. And it seems to me that you are in the perfect position for this because people have to learn how to do it right. Uh, and it has to, people, somebody's gotta make something so that someone puts on the headset and looks at it and says, wow, I didn't realize this could be done. And maybe through uh, student projects that you would have, uh, that would happen. I think, so. no, you're right, Jim. You're right, Jim. Like, uh, if you look at Felix and Paul stuff, I mean, it's pretty good. And the stereoscopic is good. Um, but but then aside from that, then there's little gems here and there, right? But nothing, like a lot of the content is just like, well, it's just not working. or And, and then they realize it's not working. So they do it like monoscopic and, and they're just missing an opportunity, I think. I wonder also if there's a need 
for some search mechanism for this. Uh, because how do you find all these little golden nuggets that are that are out there? And um, you have to, yeah. If, if we could have some sort of, you know, maybe that's another project, you know, for your students or something. If we could have some sort of search mechanism that would allow us to find these wonderful little things that otherwise nobody would know about. Absolutely. It's some sort of curation, right? Yeah. So, yeah. That's one of the ideas I taught and I've been wanting to build it. It's just, I'm, it needs time and it's dedication, right? And just me by myself and then doing all these other things. Then I forget about it and kind of let it go and all that. But, but you're right. You, you know, they, we have like within, right? Like with, I don't know, like if you go to within, there's some good stuff in there, but it's been like, what? Last time I, I checked it out was like six, like not six months ago, like three weeks ago. And the time before that was like six months ago. And it was the same content. It was the same thing. No, there was nothing really new. So, so, so yeah. So there needs to be, like you're saying, some sort of creation, but also some sort of curation. Well, and, and this brings us perhaps back to something that Adam was asking about. Uh, we all know that there's money in search engines, right? Uh, and um, as Wesley has talked about before, really the only search engines that exist right now are Google and Bing. Everything else is derived from those. And uh, so in terms of traditional search engines, there's really no money in terms of venture capital uh, because nobody wants to go up against them. But here's a new area. And maybe this is an area for search where you can make some money uh, by showing these things that are really great that nobody knows about. And so maybe there's a, a you know, a way to uh, monetize that. Uh, and maybe there are other areas in your university that would want to uh, collaborate on something like that. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like I said, that what you're describing is really exciting because right now there's a hype, there's a need. Um, so yes, I mean, yeah. And, and definitely like everybody wants to collaborate. Um, and then, and then the challenge with what you just said, Jim. The only challenge that is with that is that my definition of of the metaverse is somebody else's definition, right? So there's yeah. always misunderstandings, and and that's when, if we could just understand each other better and come up with an agreement on what is it, what what we could do or or, or need to be done, then it probably will be easier to to achieve that, right? Because right, right, right now it's like you have there's so many things, so so many things going metaverse related, right? You have hardware creators, uh, some sort of content creators, application creators, and then all the kind of industry, right? Health, education, and even just an education alone, right? Victory XR sees it different as I don't know some other um, company that also wants to get in the education business, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then we talk about design and all that stuff, so. Yeah, but with that, it's still pretty exciting because nobody's doing it, what you just described. It, it may be that, um, like we have search engine optimization today, it may be that uh, you want, perhaps there could be a standard set of keywords uh, used for a search engine that covers this type of immersive media. And even though there's different approaches and so forth, that perhaps could be encoded in the keywords and that would help your search engine out. Right, here's the other, the other scenario. It may change. 
but if you at least from what I know, the most popular headset right now is the Oculus Quest, right? Which is owned by Meta. Right. If you want to build an application for, for the Oculus Quest, you have to go to the plugins from the SDKs that Meta provides. Right. Right. And with that, then that means that a search engine will have to be your own app that has your own ecosystem. But if you really want to get into the whole meta ecosystem, then that may be a little bit more problematic because you're capped with what the manufacturer of this device can let you do, right? Yeah. To give an example, if you want to experience something on, uh, and this was a complaint from a lot of users, if you want to experience something on Oculus Quest, you have to have a Facebook account. Yeah. So right. that's another challenge, right? It, if you, to, to do what you're describing, then... Do you make your own hardware? Do you partner with somebody else? How do you how do you get that pump? Or maybe that's a separate keyword in your um, your search engine. Um, you know, this is for Oculus Quest. This is for this works with a broader range of uh, devices and so forth. So, um, right. or, I, or I, you, go yeah, ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, or, or you just, in your own app, you, you just make your own curation, right? And, yes. And, get, and do the legwork to actually bring all, all this content that could live within your own ecosystem, right? With your own yeah. structure and all that. Yeah. It just leaves more exciting things for you to do in your new job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just leaving these talks and talking to people like you, Jim, it, it makes me excited. Um, actually, if if I may add, on the uh, on the definition of metaverse, maybe we can just stick to the the simplest one that I found, which is that the metaverse you we just define as um, the virtual reality plus avatars. Um, but that I think some other people are overthinking it. Some guy just wrote a book recently on his idea of the metaverse. It's like several hundred pages, and I haven't bought it yet because I don't want to buy it, but. <laughs> The, the, the simplest thing is, okay, we, if you just say VR, most, most people have a pretty good idea of what that is. And there's a lot of work done on it. And then, then you say avatar. You just add those things together. You just keep it as simple as possible. Because if you follow the, the definition of how, the, if you look at the history of how the web grew, like in 19, from 1989, um, it was the simplest thing that would work on a common set of hardware. So we wouldn't get on stuck. We wouldn't get trapped in like an Oculus desert or something like that. So anyway... Yeah, that's a good point because then you take it by steps, right? Instead yeah. of just being overwhelmed, this, 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 and that, it's just one step, do it right, and then maybe that leads to something um, beyond that. Yeah, because maybe, maybe right now, if here's the analogy with the history of the web. The web was born 1989 in, in Europe, but right now it's just around, it's as though we are in 1989 or maybe it's 1988, somewhere around there where there's no standardization, there's no common HTML agreed amongst the major players. Um, every player, in fact, for, 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 if you go be, before the web, um, there was once with all the personal computers in the mid, uh, in the mid 80s, when each PC manufacturer would have, would make its own operating system that they had to. Yeah. And th this is basically like when, when Facebook's doing its Oculus thing, it's rolling its own OS because it has no other choice. Right. Right. 
but as a creator, right? So me as a creator, how do I, so, so I have to build something on top of that OS. Yeah. And then I have to be bound by the rules of Meta, right? Yeah. So, and then if I want to do the same thing for say like Vive, yeah. then I have to kind of report that into Steam or, or, or yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So, so, I mean, so for like a big corporation that has money to do it, well, they'll do it. Yeah. But for, a, for an individual like myself, where it's like, yeah. well, I do it on Oculus, and that's a big, you know, and that's yeah. a big step, and that and that's a big accomplishment. Which is so, why, um, you see, okay, a big corporation. If you think of somebody like like Facebook, they are large enough that they could support obviously Oculus, their own hardware system, but but they could support a port, some kind of simple port to, like the, the Roblox, for example, and all the other ones. Um, Facebook could afford that, like like just some simple little thing, so that we standardize. And Facebook would voluntarily give up some market share because it's when it supports some other um, their their opponent's hardware. But they could build a bigger software system on top of it. And it's it sort of in a way, Facebook itself arose um, just like Google because they. Um, would, if you look at the people who laid all this optical fiber, who spent billions of dollars in the U.S to lay the fiber between the American cities, um, they were commoditized because on top of that, Google and Facebook would, would run their software, the search engines and the Facebook social thing. And that's all like pure software at that point. And they got the most profit. Right, right. So anyway. yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, they'll make Facebook, they'll, they'll make their money, right? But even Facebook right now, they're struggling. Yeah. Um, for a lot of reasons, but but they still struggling because they haven't really realized what this can do, and they actually done some pretty interesting stuff here and there. But but there's not like a lot of you know. Yeah. You think about like television. Television is doing right really well right now because there's a lot of competitors. There's also a lot of shows that people want to watch, and also the pandemic also helped, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But good talk. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, going what back to, to me, oh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. My bad. Oh, um, okay. Uh, going back to the VR and your storytelling concept, um, you really want to get away from like um, where vi- the only business there is is video games. Um, in terms of story, you want it to be interactive, like you could actually clench items and such like that. Are you still? Do you want something with gloves kind of thing, or do you still want it with controllers and also a controlled environment like a room? Well, well, that depends on, on a couple of things. That depends on, on the creator, right, um, doing it. Because for some people, you know, their story, they may not want to you know, do all that. So they may just want you to experience something. It also depends on what the story is about, right? So, like, for example, um, if, if you have, like, for example, if I can think one of the stories that I would like to tell, right? Like if 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 you're if, I, if I'm like sending like you know like have a character that has to go to the underworld and meet with the Green Reaper, for example, then you know, and, and most for the most part, I would like them to experience the story, get, get you know, empathizing with the characters. But then on the moment where the main character maybe goes to the underworld, maybe like have all these strange visuals that also, you know, will benefit from haptics, right? And the sound, it starts going like a little bit interesting or in different spaces, right? So you as an audience member, you kind of get a feeling of like, oh, what? According to Simone, it feels going to the underworld. 
And if I see this television will be maybe cool, but in here, I not only see it in three dimensions, but actually I feel it because of haptics. And there was this technology also now, uh, Mental Rally World Expo a couple of weeks ago where you actually can sense smell, right? Maybe that's another story to learn. This is what it smells like. And, you know, according to Simon Kiros, based on how we do it. So it really depends. I wouldn't say there is like a straight set of rules because I don't think anybody knows what those straight set of rules are. I think you could should experiment, but within that experimentation, understand what the technology can do. So you can use that technology to service your story. The best way that you as a creator see fit. Okay. Does that answer your question or, or don't? Yeah, that answer my question. Uh, Simon, yeah. one thing I wanted to mention is um, I live about 15 minutes where you're going to from where you're about to work. And um, you had talked about trying to figure out where you're going to live in the area and so forth. Uh, if you wanted to bounce off anything uh, to, for me about, you know, the different communities around here and so forth, I'd be happy to answer any questions. Oh, that'd be great, that, Jim. I very much appreciate it. Uh, are you on LinkedIn? Uh, no, actually, I'm not. I've never needed it, so I haven't set it up. And I've got a got a little bit of a conjunctivitis right now, so I'm having a hard time with the screen. But um, I can. What I can do is, I can uh, try to send you in the chat. I'm having a tr trouble getting the chat to work right now. Well, uh, well actually, I think I can just uh, email you directly. I'm just going to give you my email. Okay. Thank you, Jim. I, I very much appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, I'll send you. Um, it doesn't look like we can save the chat right now. Okay. Uh, let's see. I've got this sort of large screen. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll shoot you an email. And... Um, I'm not doing in-person stuff right now, uh, but but we could talk. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It'll be great to catch up to you and see who else we know as well. Yeah. And Simon, uh, when you go, come over here, would you be looking for uh, modelers, animators, and someone, what, Unity, Unreal, Maya kind of thing? Probably, yeah. I mean, that's always, you know, that's, that's very, very beneficial, right? And that's a really great skill to have, so. Likely, I'll, if I can I'll, get a project, okay, because I'm a modeler and an animator, so okay. yeah, that's great. So, yes, please hit me up because you know, like, if there's another, like, I don't know how to model myself. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I have the main basics of the software of Cinema 4D and Maya and all that stuff, but but I really don't have the talent to, to model. So, if there's another project, like another. Like I get talks about like doing another uh, tour of other campuses with the mental reality thing. We always need models and, and the models need to be like low polygon and all stuff, but, but that would be great. So you could send me your info. Oh, I got you. Yeah. Thank you. I think, I think you're muted, you're muted Dominic. Oh, there you are. Oh, wait. I think your son went away again. 
Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, yeah. okay, 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 okay. That's why I before I was trying to chain in a couple of times, but I, I think maybe it's just uh, I muted. Uh, yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, Simon's uh, wonderful and amazing talk. And we all learn a lot from you. And uh, yeah, like when will you be in California? Uh, I'm looking probably like first week of August. Wow. That's really, uh, yeah, really yeah. Soon, right? yeah. Very soon, wow, very yeah. soon. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, I mean, California is definitely, I mean, beach life and uh, sunshine. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I would say pretty hot all the time. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, welcome. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Any other last minute questions? No? Okay, so thank you, well, Simon. Thank you for having me here. I appreciate yeah. you. And yeah, and I will follow follow up. Yeah, Thank cool. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye.